The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. We are in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. And if you've missed uh, anything from these series, any of the sermons, you can go online at myrealchurch.org. You can catch up there, and I encourage you to do that. These kind of build on one another. And you can also go to iTunes and uh, follow our Real Life Community Church podcast there. In this letter, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he reaches out to these converts who are now being deceived by false teachers who are erroneously teaching what we would call a works-based gospel in an attempt to put the believers back under the Mosaic Law, which as we know has been fulfilled in Christ. And Paul strongly warns these people in Galatia about abandoning the real gospel. Because to abandon the gospel, see, is to abandon God. He reminds them that we can never earn our way to God, and that's why God came to us in Christ. And we are saved gloriously. We're justified. We're made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Can we just celebrate that truth again today? And so our hope is not in ourselves, but it is in the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. It is not by human merit that we're saved. It's not by human effort that we're saved. It's grace. And I'm grateful for that today. And last week we looked at the end of Galatians chapter 3 and then into the first seven verses of chapter 4. And we're reminded of the glorious truth that we are now part of the family of God. That He sees us as sons of God. And that because of that we are heirs according to the promise of Abraham. And we are joint heirs with Christ. And we talked about the difference between being a son and being a slave. And those of us in Christ are sons of God. And if uh, ladies... You're, you can say you're daughters of God, but the, the sons there is used for a particular reason. And you missed it last week, you need to go back and listen to that. And you won't be offended by that, I promise you. Uh, but it's for your good that, that we're all called sons of God. But there is a great liberty. This is the essence of last week's message. There is a great liberty in knowing Christ. There is a great assurance in knowing that, that we are sons and daughters of God. Knowing that we are His children. Amen? And so this serves as a springboard for what we'll study today as we pick up now in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8. So if you would stand with me in the honor of the reading of the Word of the Lord. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8. I'll be reading for the English Standard Version today. The Apostle Paul writing says this, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more, to be once more? Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, Paul's, 
Paul here in these verses, he contrasts two brands of Christianity that we've talked much about. Religion-based, or you could say works-based Christianity. And secondly, relationship-based or faith-based, grace-based Christianity. We could define these two brands of Christianity as simply law and grace. So law-based Christianity is focused on me. It is focused on what I can do. But I love this relationship-based Christianity or grace-based is focused on what Christ has already done. Amen? And so I just want to unpack these two brands of Christianity for you very quickly. Uh, If you're taking notes, number one, we're going to go over this religion-based Christianity or law-based. We call this... In in the modern church, we call this legalism. Look at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Now, these Gentile converts, before they knew the gospel, had been worshipers of false gods. They were involved in pagan temple worship, many of them. And then, as you can imagine, they had very sinful, sexually immoral lifestyles that went along with these pagan religions. And thus, they were enslaved, actually, by demonic oppression. In John 8, 34, Jesus says these words. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. We have a tendency at times to look at people in the world who are quote-unquote living it up. Students, you look at these other people on campus and it looks like they're having all the fun. And they look free, like they have not a care in the world. But those people are actually not free. People who live kind of pagan lifestyles, sinful lifestyles, people who live apart from Christ, they are actually bound By this kind of enslavement, this oppression. Jesus said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that's who the Gentiles were. You know, I do a lot of prison ministry and I've done that for many, many years. And it's amazing some of these men who I minister to, at one time they thought they were free. They could live it up and they could do the things that their hearts desired. But as they sit many times in a prison cell or in the prison chapel or in the halfway house, they say to me, this has taken me way further than I ever expected and it has cost me everything. So I want you to understand that that, that freedom is not doing whatever you want and quote unquote living it up. That is actually bondage and that's where the Galatians were before The gospel. So the Galatians had experienced freedom now from that horrendous lifestyle as Paul planted churches and shared the gospel with them. And yet, because of the false teachers that had come in the church, they are now flirting with that enslavement again. And Paul, listen, is absolutely perplexed. Why in the world would you want to go back to bondage? To be enslaved once again. Now, don't miss this. Here's what's interesting. We might think that Paul is warning these believers to not go back into sexual sin and idolatry and pagan worship. 
And he warns the Corinthians of this very thing in, I don't have time to go there this morning, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he warns them of that very thing. Don't go back to idolatry. But that's not what he's talking about here. Look with me at verse 9. He says, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become to be once more? Now watch what he says in verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the Mosaic Law. The false teachers in Galatia were not trying to get the converts to ignore God's law or to live in blatant sin. Instead, what were they doing? They were trying to get them to adopt all of the Old Testament law that had already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ in order to have right standing with God. So the Galatians had started religiously observing again all these ceremonies and festivals found in the Old Testament And they were trying to get to God through religion rather than relationship. Through law rather than the gospel. And so listen to this. Paul is saying to attempt to to earn one's own salvation through morality or legalistic rule keeping is just as much as enslaving as the more gross sins of immorality and idolatry. Okay, now that'll preach. Because we have churches all over that are preaching law, 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 and they're putting the weight of the law back on their people, and they're judging the world for being enslaved, but Paul would argue that those people are just as enslaved as those living in gross sin. Here's why I think this happens. Whatever we think will fulfill us or save us, It will ultimately become our God. And we will become enslaved to it. For instance, we've talked about this many times. If if wealth is your God, money becomes your master. If you're all about wealth, money becomes your master. And you can never have enough. It will never satisfy your heart. So you'll do anything to get more money. And then when you get more money, you'll be always disappointed. Because you realize it could never satisfy your heart. It's not meant to. It's not capable of doing that. And the Galatians formally put their hope in worldly living and pagan religion. And yet those things could never in a million lifetimes ever satisfy their hearts. And they naturally became enslaved by those very things. But now watch this. They're experiencing that same sense of enslavement by evil spiritual forces Because of what we call legalism. They're trying to quote unquote just keep the rules to earn some type of merit with God. They're putting forth human effort trying to keep or uh, obtain their right standing with God. And this is legalism and it is sin. Works-based salvation will make you absolutely miserable. Your own moral achievements will become your God, uh, your church attendance, your charity, your Bible reading, your prayer life. When you do these things, you say, Pastor, what's wrong with those things? Nothing. As long as you're doing out of a heart that's just bent towards the Father that loves God 
It's an overflow of your love for Him. But when you do those things to try to gain something with God, it changes everything. The motive is wrong. When you're doing these things to get or to earn your keep with Him, you become absolutely enslaved by Him. The more you do, the more disappointed you become because you actually feel, this is how it works, Martin Luther felt this, you actually feel more enslaved, you feel further from God rather than closer to Him. The best example of this is found in the story of the prodigal son. For time, I'll just give you a quick paraphrase here. There was a wealthy father who had two sons. Many of you know the story. The younger son took his inheritance. He left home and he lived very rebelliously. And he became enslaved by wild living. He found himself living with the pigs and eating what they're eating, longing for their food. And that's when you know you've hit rock bottom, right? But in the end, here's what he did. He repented and he enjoyed fellowship with the father. But then you have the older brother who who stayed home. He kept all the rules. But you know what? He had no interest in the heart of the father. He was religious. He was legalistic. He was a rule keeper with no heart for his father. And no desire for his father's heart. And in the end, he was the one that was absolutely miserable. And missed out on fellowship with his father. So here's what that tells me. Wild, rebellious living and legalism are both enslaving and ultimately damning. I would suggest that legalism can be more dangerous. And here's why. When you are living wildly and rebelliously, you know that your heart's far from God. That's why I love prison ministry. I never have to convince somebody in in a prison cell that their heart is far from the Lord or that they've messed up or that they're a sinner. But you take legalistic church folk who have grown up just trying to keep the rules, they almost don't see their need for a Savior because they don't really think they've sinned at least all that badly. They don't see the depravity of their own heart. It's harder to reach a legalist than it is just a very, very blatant, immoral person. It's dangerous. So works-based Christianity is beyond enslaving. Let's look at this other brand of Christianity. It's relationship-based. Look at verse 9 again. Paul points us back to what Christianity really is. He says, but now that you have come to know God, and I love this, or rather to be known by God, and you could translate that, or even more importantly... To be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Whose slaves you have become once more. Listen. Real Christianity is to know God and to be known by God. Often when I try to share Christ with people who evangelize and that kind of thing. And I I ask them if they... You know, where they're at in their faith and if they know Christ. And they always give me an answer something like this. I pray. I go to church. I grew up in church. My daddy was a preacher. Everybody around here has a daddy or a grandpa that was a preacher. Some point, some time. And I say, that's not what I ask you. Real Christianity, the, the essence of it. It's not church attendance. It's not Bible study. It's not prayer time. It is relationship with God. 
And then that overflows into all of those really great things. And church is much more enjoyable. Bible reading is much more enjoyable. Uh, prayer, much more enjoyable when you have relationship with Jesus. So to know someone in a biblical sense is to have more than an intellectual awareness. It is to have a relationship with somebody. And if you don't know this about God, if you do not have a relationship with Him, if you, if you do not know that He thinks of you as one of His children, you'll miss everything. If you don't know that God loves you, accepts you, calls you His, apart from your personal spiritual achievements, you'll be radically insecure and this will drive you to legalism. Dr. Tim Keller in his commentary on Galatians writes this. He says, quote, The great and central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God. Watch this. But how unshakably His heart is set on us. And if we begin to grasp that we are, quote, known by God, we won't seek to bolster our self-image or standing before Him through our works. We won't worship an idol. We will love Him the one who knows us, end quote. That's powerful. Individuals who walk in what we call religion-based or law-based Christianity, they're miserable people. You, you don't have to raise your hand in case you're sitting by it, but how many know that they are miserable to be around? Because they have, they're walking in self-condemnation and they condemn everybody else around them. They've reduced Christianity to a set of do's and don'ts. And they're miserable while they're trying to kind of keep the rules, if you will. But those who rest in the finished work of Christ, who relish in the gospel, they have an unshakable assurance in God's love. Their own justification, uh, God's acceptance of them because of what Jesus has already accomplished. This is a game changer. I, I, I grew up several years on what we call white knuckles preaching. Great pastors, great church. But I, I, I kind of always felt like that my relationship with God depended on me just doing this and not doing this. Keeping the rules. Now, don't miss this. Obedience is important, but it, obedience flows out of a heart that loves God and is just immersed in the gospel. There's a difference. So by faith, empowered by the Spirit, good works come, and that's important. And that's the evidence of our salvation, not the means of it. So I, I used to just feel the weight of, like, every time I messed up, I'd look... For a lightning bolt to come. I used to do that. Like, you know, you just feel like God's just waiting to strike you down. And I just am so glad to just proclaim to you this morning that that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible who's the one that saw that in a million lifetimes you could never get to Him. So that's why He came to you and did for you what you could never do for yourself. And if we could earn our way to Him, then Jesus came in vain. I'm grateful for the Lord's grace. Now here's what's interesting. The Galatians know this. They know what it is to be liberated, to, 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 to have freedom in Christ, to enjoy the gospel message. But yet they're trying to go back to performance-based religion and oh, how often do we do this? Look at the second part of verse 9. Paul says, how can you turn back Again, to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world. 
whose slaves you want to become once more. The Galatians experience this freedom that comes from grace and yet Paul is perplexed because they're trying to go back to enslavement by living in law-based Christianity. There is a a new term that's often used in in social media. Some of you guys will like this, called adulting. How many have used that? Uh, Hashtag adulting, right? Come on. So old people hang with me for just a second, all right? According to the Urban Dictionary, adulting is this. It is to do grown-up things and hold responsibilities such as a 9-to-5 job, a mortgage, a rent, a car payment, which according to Dave Ramsey, you should not have at any age. You're welcome, Bob and Christy. Or anything else that one makes one think of grown-ups, all right? So to give you some examples of how this is used, I've I've visited Twitter this week, and and here's some adulting posts, okay? My favorite part of being an adult, one girl writes, is knowing I can buy fruit roll-ups whenever I want and eat them for breakfast. Hashtag adulting. Come on. Watch this. Hashtag don't tell mom. I love it. Another one, I'm officially at the point of my life where I'll go to the movies and sleep through the entire thing. Hashtag adulting. Day two of washing my face before bed and putting night cream on and taking all my vitamins. I even flossed. So this must be hashtag adulting. Hashtag 26. They're a little late in the game, brothers and sisters. When you sleep with your mascara on so you can sleep in before work tomorrow. Hashtag adulting. That resonates with some ladies. Hopefully no men. In bed at 9.30 on my birthday because I have work tomorrow. Hashtag adulting. Ryan Cole writes this. Literally just adulted so hard. Plungers, shower curtains, napkins, you name it. Hashtag adulting. Can't wait until my niece and nephew go to bed so I can eat ice cream without sharing. Hashtag adulting. There's perks to being adults, right? So sometimes adulting is used in a very positive way, but then there is some negativity associated with uh, adulting, and actually the the hashtag is adulting stinks, alright, so here it is. I don't want to go back to work tomorrow, I want to go back to camp, hashtag adulting stinks. I don't want to get up, I don't want to get up, I don't want to get up, and the church said, Amen. amen, right? Leah Brooks writes this, I need the fireworks to stop at this point. Because I'm a grandma and I have to get up early for work. Hashtag stay in college. Hashtag adulting stinks. Joy Beth Bowles writes, I'm pretty sure that the hokey pokey really is what it's all about. Adulting stinks. Hashtag turn yourself around. Heather Rooney. Why does everything have to be so expensive? College kids, you're going to feel this. I just spent $40 on detergent, bleach, litter, and Tylenol. Hashtag adulting. Actually, she got off cheap by my estimation. Emily writes this, one more. Just got paid today, and at the end of the day, I'll be broke again. Hashtag adulting. So the cry behind the cute hashtag adulting stinks is this, that there are some people who would do anything to become children again, to be freed of responsibility. No, just to be a child again. And I thought about this As I was preparing this message. And that sounds really cool. Like, oh, if I could just be a kid again. But let me just ask you. Would you really want to be a middle schooler again? It's crazy, isn't it? Middle schoolers are crazy. And not ours, but every other middle schooler are crazy, right? They're crazy. 
Those are some of the hardest years of my life. And in, in the high school, I have two high schoolers now. And it's crazy. I mean, just the drama that they're involved. Like, I, I don't want to go back. And so I, I think to myself, and I, I know, you know most people are joking with these tweets. Some of them not so much. But I, I wonder, why do you want to go back to be a, being a child again? Because it's, it's great to have some independence and to, to walk into maturity and to see what God may have for your life. We want to continually move forward. And, and so Paul is kind of like this on a much greater scale. He's absolutely perplexed that someone would know the gospel and learn the gospel, what it really is, that we're, uh, the, the summation of the gospel that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And now all of a sudden... After knowing what it is to have right standing with God, they want to go back to this gospel of works, which is no gospel at all. And so, I see this all of the time in the church. People who are desperately trying through their own works to earn God's approval. Okay? Um, There are many, many examples. I don't have time. I'm just going to give you one. Alright? But there are times, I'm not saying that you... I don't think we would ever say, oh yeah, I believe in a works-based gospel. But when you watch our lives, I believe, here's how I would put it. I believe we flirt with this other false brand of Christianity many times. We all want to say, yeah, we're gospel people, we're grace people. But we flirt with this other brand of Christianity. Let me give you a a great example, alright? And that is when it comes to the um, practice of what we call tithing. Alright, go with me real quick to Malachi chapter 3. I'm getting ready to close here. I'm going to show you the difference between religion and relationship when it comes to giving. Okay, I'm going to use this as an example. So let's talk about law. This is Malachi chapter 3. This is, this is um, the prophet speaking to Israel, God speaking to Israel. This is law. Okay, This is Old Testament. And here's what is written. Will man rob God? You are robbing me, but you say... How have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Now watch this, verse 9. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And preachers will tell you the storehouse is the local church. Guess what? It's not. You know what it is? It's going to blow your mind. A storehouse. <laughs> Crazy. It's weird when the Bible means what it says. Like that, There may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing that there is no more need. And I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. That's law. That's not law of Christ. That's Old Testament law. All right. But here's the deal. It takes money to run ministry, to do the things of, to support missionaries, to support pastors, to reach community, to feed people, to clothe people. Here, here's what happens. It takes a lot of money. I did not want to go here this Sunday because as of last week, we were at $7,000 for the month. And that actually includes one week in, in uh, excuse me, what was it? In July, I think. It includes one week in July and then three weeks in August. We were at about, Bob, I think $7,000 for giving. Guess where we need to be? 
about in 14.5. And so I don't want to go here today, but I'm going to go here. The reason that we as pastors preach law here and say, are you going to love, rob God? There's a curse going to come on you if you don't get out your checkbooks right now and, you know, and, and give this amount. And we scare the living daylights on people. I had a guy come to me three or four years ago and say, Pastor, am I going to go to hell? And I said, what do you mean are you going to go to hell? I said, do you know Jesus? He said, yeah, I know Jesus. I didn't pay my tithe. And my pastor says that I'm going to burn because I didn't give my tithe. That's the essence of what he got from this preaching. And that's what's being preached all over. Now, I believe, to be sure, in giving. Okay, but let me show you what giving looks like under grace. We, here's, here's what we do as preachers. We preach law because we feel like if we don't scare you, that you won't give. Like if, you, if you're not thinking that, hey man, if I don't give this amount, I'm going to hell, then, then you're not going to give. I don't buy that anymore. I don't buy that anymore. Because watch, go with me one more passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is the difference between law and Malachi in grace in 2 Corinthians. Here's what it says. We want you to know, brothers, this is Paul writing to Corinth, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now watch this. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. Here's the Macedonians. Their hearts are set on God. They're full of the joy of God. And here's what happens when when, when that is your heart. It's not law, it's grace. They know who God is, what God's done for them. And here's what happens when you're infused with grace. Watch this. And their extreme poverty have overflowed. They don't even have, they're not sitting on bukus of bucks. They're impoverished. And watch this. Their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means, watch this, of their own accord. Not because the pastor said, you're gonna, you better turn or burn. Totally different motive. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. It wasn't a motive to just keep themselves out of the hot water. I I just, Lord, I want to give myself to you. And then by the will of God to us, and through giving yourself to the Lord, here's what I believe. If, if, If you love God, if you treasure Him above all things, if you know the blessing of, of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you realize the, 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 what He's given you, His substitutionary work on the cross, if you realize the magnitude on any level of that, you will give almost to a fault. It'll hurt your feelings when I don't take an offering. I actually have people mad at me because I always forget to take offerings on Wednesdays. And you know what it tells me? Man, those there's some people here that love God. They're begging to give in an offering. So I, I, I don't really preach this reluctantly today. Um, because here's what I believe. If I point you to Jesus, I believe I'm never going to have to beg for money to get the bills paid in this church or to do ministry. I just believe that... The heart of somebody that's been changed by the gospel, it just generosity comes with that. So I don't have to put you under law and have you leaving here going, oh, I couldn't do this today and I didn't. Oh, I hope Jesus doesn't come back tonight because I've been faithful for so many years. But if he comes before I get that check in the offering plate, I know I'm just not going to make it. And you sleep with one eye open, you know, kind of that night. You can't, you can't get rest because you're just always afraid. You see the difference? Giving's important, Old Testament and New, but for 
really greatly different reasons. The motive totally changes. And so there are many times, my point, that we flirt with that false brand of Christianity. There are many times that we preachers try to put you back under the law. Um, And that makes you have to kind of feel the weight of what it feels like to have to try to earn God's approval. So my my question is, in, in closing, why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to go back to that? I want to just plead with you today, as Paul did with the Galatians. I know some of you were brought up under strict law-based religion. And, and even when you understand the gospel, it's easy to find yourself going back and back and back. And please don't misunderstand me. This is not a church. Some of you are maybe here for the first time. This is not a church where anything goes. Like, sin is sin. Sin is serious. But we just don't believe that the essence of Christianity is handing you a list of rules and saying, good luck, you better do these or else. We think the essence of Christianity is Christ and His finished work. And so my aim, our goal as a church is to point you to Him. Point you to Him. And if you will fall in love with Christ because He's first loved you, if you'll just keep your eyes on the cross, obedience is going to follow and I love what First John says. His commands, they're not burdensome. Giving, it's not burdensome. When you make people give under law, they're writing that check going, oh, I could be spending this on a better dinner after church or a vacation. And, and it hurts. When you give under grace because God has so touched your heart because you know Him and God knows you, man, it's, you're thinking, man, I kind of want to do more. I kind of want to do more. And you'll, you'll, you'll really give almost to a fault. And I, I just love seeing people move from law to grace. Because their attitude in church, the joy. You go to a law-based church, I mean, people look saved and mad about it. Like they're singing, uh, you know, I mean, hymns about God's grace. But they're, they're mad. They're frowning while they're singing. And I just love a grace-infused church. Um, I'll, I'll close with this. Illustration. I know I've said that three times. Go stand. I hate when preachers did that, and I just did it. I, I, I just want to share this. Bob Stamper, I, I knew him in, in high school, but he didn't know me. Um, I, I wasn't cool enough to be in his club yet. All right? And uh, I remember, never forget this, I was probably a freshman when, when Bob was a senior. And... Uh, some friends of mine, went, we went to a variety show at GRC High School, in, there in Clark County. And uh, I saw Bob, Bob on the stage, and I want to say you did some van handling. Does that sound? Probably. And I'm looking at this guy and going, high school musicians, they don't, they don't play like that. And then just, I, I knew a drummer that played with him, a friend of mine named Ben Miller, and he ended up at Bob's house. Bob still didn't know me. I was there for a practice session, and uh, he was too cool to talk to me. And he had real long hair, you know, just, he, he was a rocker, man. And I just sat amazed in this basement. And, and I remember I, I was doing Christian music at the time and, and things, and, and, and Bob was playing, you know, and, and I loved rock and roll too, and he was doing Stevie Ray Vaughan, note for note, and I mean, I just thought, this is awesome. Awesome. And I thought, what would happen if somebody like this just got hit with God's grace? Just got 
totally just taken by God's grace. And I just was sitting here. I didn't plan on saying this. Sitting here watching Bob up here by himself. And, and the Lord just took me back to that. Seeing Bob rock out. Uh, I wish he'd do an impression right now. Come on, let's hear a little. Oh, okay. How many of y'all want to hear a little Faith Haven right now? So, yeah, there we go. So, so he, he's, he's awesome. And I, and I just remember God took me back when, when I was up here watching him earlier. He took me back to Bob with the long hair. And, uh, and, and just the rock and roll attitude, far from God. And I just see his life. God, Bob could have never gotten to God, either could I. Bob could have never gotten to God. There's only one reason Bob's standing right here today. The same reason I'm standing here today. Because of the incredible grace and mercy of our God. And so why would we ever want to renounce that and go back to trying to earn our way? Earn our way. Earn our way. God's grace is so incredible. And I just want you to relish in it, to glory in it today with me. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not really believed upon Him and and, and trusted in Him as your personal Savior, if you're one of these people who've tried to earn your way to heaven, it's never going to work. You're miserable, I promise you. But I invite you today to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because His... Work is finished. He's paid the penalty for you. You can have forgiveness in Him, redemption in Him, life in Him, justification, right standing with God because of Jesus. So I I invite you today, if you don't know how to become a Christian or even how to put your faith in Christ, I'd be so honored to pray with you and talk to you before you leave today. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.